Hey guys, welcome to Pretty Much Done. I'm Julia Mazur. We're taking a quick break from the breakups today. Instead, I'm joined by family attorney, certified relationship coach, and the aptly named God of Love, Eros Miranda. This is our most educational episode so far. Eros runs us through technical definitions, healthy solutions to relationship issues, how to maintain the spark in a long-term relationship, and how to handle a breakup when the time does come. I hope you guys learn as much from Eros as I did. Let's get started. Well, hey guys, welcome to Pretty Much Done. I am so, so excited to introduce this week's guest. He's an extremely insightful relationship expert who I found on TikTok with the name Eros Miranda. We need to get into how you're a relationship expert and what's the god of sensuality, of passionate love. We need to get into how that happened. But Eros, welcome to the podcast. I'm so, so excited to have you. Thank you so much for having me here. It's truly an honor. I'm very excited to get into it. Yes, the bar was set high by my parents when they named me Eros. I'm just trying my best to live up to it in terms of helping people, not in terms of any like sensual things. So just in terms of helping people with relationships. (laughs) So did 10-year-old Eros think that when he grew up, he was going to do something with love? I honestly want to say yes. My family, my grandparents, everyone has always told me that I'm very caring. I'm very emotional in a way. Sometimes I care about people. Ever since I was young, I always saw people get in relationships, some of them happy, some of them sad. And I kind of wanted to figure out why are they sad? Why can't we all be happy and love and healthy relationships? So did I think that anyone would want to hear me on TikTok, Instagram, anything at all? Probably not. Yeah. Didn't know that I wanted to make a difference of some sort. Are your parents still together? Was your like family relationship that the template, was that a healthy one? Yes. Uh, I come from a very close-knit Italian family. So I've been used to seeing that, been used to always being together, family dinners every night, a big Sunday dinners, just seeing my parents. They've been together for close to 40 years. I don't know. So they've been a great example and I obviously very grateful for them. I always ask couples who have been together for a long time, like, what's the secret? Have you ever asked your parents? I have not. That's actually a good question. As a relationship coach, I probably should have. But I think I've been just lucky enough to see it. I think one of the secrets is that they always make each other laugh. My dad, he's a great guy. Also a very silly guy. And he always finds a way to make my mom laugh. There's barely any arguments. If there's any misunderstandings, they quickly find compromises. They laugh. They make up. So I think... The secret, if I had to say, I haven't asked them, but I think a lot of the secret has been putting their love for each other above any conflict, above any challenge, always looking ahead and seeing that bigger picture, which is creating a healthy foundation of family, of love, of respect. I love that. I even think about how sometimes in a relationship, the happiness of your partner has to like trump your own sometimes. Like you can't always be looking out for Eros or Julia, you know? You also have to think about your partner. So I know you're in a healthy relationship. Tell me about your relationship and how you met your partner and that whole story. Well, I met my partner actually when I was a freshman in college because I went to law school as well. So I was in a pre-law organization. I didn't go that often. I was a good student, but I didn't go to that organization too often. But they were planning a trip to Washington, D.C., 
And I was like, okay, that sounds amazing. My older brother was a vice president of the organization. So I was like, you know what? I'll go. I didn't know anyone, but I went. Then I saw a very gorgeous girl. I didn't see her again, but one night during the trip, I went out to the Lincoln Memorial. I love history. I love the monuments. She was there with her friends. And one of her friends was like, oh, hi, we're such and such. Do you want to spend some time with us around the city and whatever? Do you want to hang out with us? Because they saw me that I was alone. I was very shy. I've always been very shy, believe it or not. Yeah, I don't believe it. (laughs) (laughs) I've been extremely shy when I was younger, but I worked on leaving my comfort zone. So me being there in that situation, I was like, oh my God, you know, so, but she was there. And we talked, we hung out, we got lost in the subways. It it was a really fun time. Kind of like the movies, you lost in the city. It was really fun, but I didn't see her anymore for the next couple of days. And then on the last day of the trip, I went to the airport. We were going to go on our way back. And the airline told me, Eros, I was supposed to sit next to my brother. They said, Eros, I'm sorry, but there's been a mess up with your seat. They said, okay, we move you. I was like, sure, it's fine. And they moved me and I'm walking down the little airplane aisle and it's getting closer to where this girl is sitting. And I'm like, it can't be. And it was, it was. Oh my God. It was right next to hers. We sat down on the plane and then on the way back then, it just felt like magic. I was very shy, but I came back. I texted her and we started seeing each other. We talked for a while and it was like magic. I hope I gave the story justice because no, it was- No, my, my jaw is like on the floor. I have to pick it up. It feels like destiny and you have like a very close relationship. <laughs> like you were destined to be a relationship coach, but hold on. Going back, you said that you were pre-law track. Did You ended up going to law school, correct? Yes. I went to- Notre Dame Law School, go Irish. I love Notre Dame. But yes, I went to law school because I was very interested in relationships, but I didn't really know like how to go about it. So I said, okay, I'll go to law school. I found myself quickly gravitating towards family law. It was something that I loved. I loved the class. I loved my professor. Shout out to Professor Brennick. But when I graduated, I loved the law. I still do. I still do. I still practice a little bit and everything. But I found out that I could help people with their legal issues. But it didn't go beyond that. After I helped them with those legal issues, I helped them settle those. They were still facing those relationship issues. They still were sad that they had gone through traumatizing experiences, that they had a toxic partner, that they had unhealthy relationships. And you can't really go beyond that on a legal aspect. But I said, what else can I do? And I was like, okay, maybe I'll try out this relationship thing. And I didn't think that it would lead to what it has led. Mm-hmm. But it's been extremely rewarding in the sense of helping people and helping them either leave toxic relationships or fix their relationship. So attorney, relationship coach, still a little bit of both. I think that the legal world gave me that analytical thinking to deal yeah. with different cases. What was it inside of you that like propelled you towards like relationships? Because you have a healthy relationship that you see in your household you're yourself in a healthy relationship. Like, why are you kind of drawn towards like helping people who are in toxic relationships or helping people get out of those? Like, what was it? I think it's exactly that. The fact that I'll knock on wood because I want it to never end, but love exists, right? I've seen love exist. I've seen healthy love. I've also seen this negative patterns with my friends. They have, not all of them have had the best relationships, but I'm like, we need to help each other out. A believer that 
kindness, love, all of that in the world, it's possible. But I found out that a lot of the issues are that people that are in toxic relationships, they think that they're the only ones going through that. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're being gaslighted. Maybe they're being hurt in some way. And they're like, oh, it's just me. I got to deal with this. I got to be silent. I just wanted to bring some awareness to that. Like, hey, not only are you not alone and I want to help you through it, Mm-hmm. But there's something so much better at the other end, mm-hmm. right? You don't have to settle for this person. You deserve more. And mm-hmm. if I can be a reminder of that and I can help them get there, I'm more than happy to do so. Do you think that there's one thing that gets someone into a toxic relationship? Like, what is that one factor? What do you think are the factors that people find themselves in toxic relationships? Well, something that I believe that we're doing wrong, not necessarily wrong, but I think we're setting out with the mindset of we need to find the right person. And I receive so many messages that are errors. How do I find the right person? How do I find the right person? Where is the right person? What do I do? Where do I go? And I always reply, instead of trying to find the right person, let's first figure out how to identify the wrong ones. If we stop letting all this wrong people waste our time, our energy, our love, our passion, if we let them we stop them from dimming the light that we have within with, with so much love. We're one step closer to the right person. Yeah. I think that's something we're doing wrong. Instead of solely focusing on the right person, we have to love ourselves first and we need to figure out how do we identify the wrong people. Yes. Those wrong people, like how do they not have a hold on us? So like somebody that is arrogant and plays games. Like, how do you not get yourself sucked into those games? It's like, okay, I identify it, not interested, right? Yes, well, I'll tell you a little trick, something that I did before I met my significant other and and beautiful wife. How long have you guys been together? Nine years. Oh my gosh. Nine years, we've been together for nine. Very beautiful years. Very, And I honestly do mean this. If she's hearing this, I love you. Very beautiful years. But the little trick that I did, and I think it did lead to that successful relationship. When I was younger, right before entering college, I was single. And I told myself, okay, I can chase a person. I can look for this right person. Or I can become someone that my future partner will be proud of. So what did I do? I took a year, two years, didn't look for anything, didn't chase anything. Just focus on myself. I completed little tasks. I became very academically sound. I focused on myself, fitness, everything, whatever it could be that made me happy. Mm-hmm. That way, I knew I wasn't only doing this for my future partner, but by working on my shortcomings, I knew what I was worth. I knew what I built myself to be. So if someone came along and they were arrogant, they were trying to gaslight me, they were giving me empty promises. I would have been like, hey, you know what? Over this time, I worked to myself. I know I'm not worth that. I know I'm worth more. Mm-hmm. So I think something we should always do is try to become someone your future partner will be proud of. Because in the process, you're going to fall in love with yourself. I totally agree with that. I'm totally for that. We're totally aligned. I think that someone listening to this, I can imagine. And I know like maybe me a year ago, I would be like, listen, I meditate. I go to therapy. I stop drinking. Like I'm a fitness queen. I'm just not meeting this guy in LA. Like, what the fuck? Like, I've been working on myself. What do you say to that person who is like, I just can't, the people out there, the apps, the dating pool is terrible. Well, that's going to be tough because what happens is that when you're going through that, you're almost tempted to like settle for the first little bit of attention you get. Yeah. Uh, Not in a negative way, but what I would say is don't rush into anything that comes along, but don't shy away from that human connection. 
still go out, still have fun, establish those emotional connections. If something comes along, that's beautiful. Great. Go for it. Pursue it. If not, keep just going out. Don't shy away just because it hasn't worked. But at the same time, don't rush at the first thing that comes your way. I love that. That's such good advice. I feel like so many of my friends, they'll go out and they'll just be like, the dating pool sucks. The guys are weird on the apps and I'm just off the apps right now. But you never know, like just keeping yourself connected to humans and interacting with them. That is like working on yourself almost. It's like interview skills for like when the right one comes around. Definitely. And I think that if you think the right one came around, my little bit of advice would be ask the questions you want answers to. Sometimes when the right person comes around, we think we're going to push them away by coming on too strong. And then, oh, okay, we fall in love and we just hope that their potential adds up to your core values aligning to everything you dreamed of. And maybe it will, but don't be scared to ask the questions you need answers to right away. I mean, don't like meet them and be like, okay, make a wolf. You know what I mean? Just yeah. get to know each other. The right one won't be scared off. Exactly. They will welcome it. Yeah. Have you been in therapy? Like, do you think that all people should go to therapy before relationships? Like, you so centered. You're so aligned. I pay a lot of money to be like you, Arrows. <laughs> no, I have not. I do my coaching, but I have not been to therapy. I have friends that obviously have, and I can only speak wonders about it. I think there's no detriment to it, uh, whether it's therapy, coaching, whatever you want, whatever you feel comfortable with. I think it's a positive and it's only beneficial to you. Agreed. I feel like we throw around some terms and like a lot in these interviews that I have. And I feel like some people think they know what these certain things mean, but I want to get a relationship expert to really define these terms. So I'm going to define some relationship terms or I'm going to mention some relationship terms and I want you to define them so that we get like a clear cut understanding moving forward of what these things are. Okay. I'll try my best. Okay, cool. <laughs> Okay, love bombing. This one's huge. And I feel like uh -huh. so many people we speak to talk about the detriment of their relationship being love bombing. So take me through it. Uh, to me, love bombing is basically when someone literally bombs you with excessive displays of affection and attention and love. Love bombing is what I would call dangerous because we all deserve love and attention and affection. But the thing is that people that love bomb you, they're doing it to put you on the pedestal. They're coming on too quickly. They're telling you that they love you, that they imagine the future with you. They give you lavish gifts and then they devalue you. So it's just a tactic to control you. That's the main thing with love bombing. What would be like a healthy example of someone expressing love in the beginning of a relationship versus love bombing? Let's say someone meets you and right away they tell you, oh my God, hey, you're so beautiful. I can see myself falling in love with you. And then they keep saying it and then they post it on social media because a big thing with love bombing is they want to portray the relationship as being perfect. Yeah. It's not so much about the connection with you. They want to just show that it's the best. It's perfect. Yeah. If they can follow through on that and like you're okay with that, great. But I think a healthy way would be just getting to know each other, taking it easy, not immediately telling each other, hey, I love you. Hey, I can see myself marrying you. If you say it like in a flirtatious way, that's fine. But take a step back. I'll say you like this. If it seems like they're coming on too strong, they likely are. If it seems like it's too good to be true, it might be. Yeah. Take a step back and think about those things. Yeah. Somebody taking you on a trip two weeks in, maybe not a red flag if they're like taking it slow and offering you to stay in different rooms, right? Yeah. I love trips. So that's what's <laughs> up. Like you, you hit my spot 
Because yeah. I got to yeah. trip on the first date. So I, I'm not love loving anyone, so I won't do that. Right. But no, yes, exactly like you said. If someone suggests, hey, you know what? I think it would be very fun for us to go on a trip together sometime. Do you want to plan it together? Great. But if someone comes to you and they're like, okay, I booked us an all expenses trip to Hawaii. We're going to go. It's going to be amazing. You and me, we're the best. If they like push that on you and they keep pushing that on you and almost yeah. make you feel like you owe it to them to go almost, then they're bombing you with those excessive displays of affection. If they're including you in the decision process, they're asking you, then that's a healthy way to go about it. Yeah. For me, as I'm understanding it, as you're speaking about it, love bombing is if you don't have the opportunity to chime in and really like give your thoughts and you're not able to digest it and pitch in in that conversation, you're being love bombed. Exactly. If you can't interject in any way and you feel like they're constantly putting you on a pedestal, pedestal, pedestal. And like I said, it's almost too good to be true. It could be love bombed. You have to take a second to think about it and really sometimes I would say gain a little bit of distance just so you can remove yourself from that situation and have a clearer understanding. That's good advice. Next is the one that I feel like is so overused. I feel like it's even being overused with like parents, you know, boomers who are trying to like use this word, but gaslighting. Tell me about gaslighting because this one I feel like has 700 definitions now. And it's honestly everywhere. Like I'll post a video about gaslighting and it'll start like a war. Like comments, that's not gaslighting. That's gaslighting. That's not gaslighting. My parents say this all the time. So yes. Yeah. Well, gaslighting is just like an extensive period of manipulation to the point or with the goal of someone making you doubt your own validity in your perception, in your reality, in your own thoughts. They shift the blame on you. They deny any blame. So it's just manipulating you to the point that you feel confused, to the point that they never take blame, that they always play the victim, an extensive period of manipulation that leads to you questioning your own reality and perception. Yes. Questioning your reality. If you're questioning your reality, you're being gaslit, I think. I was just going to say, if you constantly feel like you're the one apologizing, even though you did nothing wrong, then that's another huge red flag. Honestly, yeah. Just constantly apologizing to your partner is a red flag. <laughs> we spoke to someone who saw her fiance at a bar, like touching another woman. And he denied. Then she started questioning like whether she was seeing correctly, like the worst. You have to trust your God and your eyes, especially. Yeah. <laughs> yes, totally. What do you think about your gut? Do you think that your gut is always right? No, I mean, not necessarily. I think you do have to give a lot of respect to your gut. Like if something's giving you a bad feeling, explore it. But I think everyone deserves an honest chance. So part of exploring it is talking to your partner, getting their perspective, seeing if everything acts up. Now, you literally saw something. Uh, then you're likely correct. If you have a gut feeling that someone is wrong for you and you don't want to pursue it, that's completely okay. Don't pursue it. Mm -hmm. But I'm just saying that doesn't guarantee that 100% of the time your gut is correct, especially if you don't have any, any more information, perspective. It's always good to talk, especially if it's a longer term relationship. Yeah, it's, it's true. I feel like so many of us, at least I have some friends that are like, I'm not going to like him. I'm not going to go out with him. My gut says no. You never know until you, you get to know someone. If it's like an early on thing, they just, you don't click, you have a gut feeling. I think that's more understandable. But if it's like something with your partner longer term, then I think you owe them the chance to kind of explain themselves a little bit. Got it. 
Well, gaslighting was easy. We really defined that one in a flash. This one seems like a little bit more complicated. Tell me about trauma bonding. Oh, trauma bonds are not fun at all. Um, they're like this vicious cycle of emotional and physical abuse that actually creates an attachment between the abuser and the person being abused. And the problem is that that bond, that attachment is constantly being reinforced by little periods of love and affection. So let's say you know your partner is wrong for you, but you can't leave them. You know they're hurting you, but you can't blame them. You find ways to justify their behavior. You find ways to even blame yourself. You're constantly sacrificing your needs and your wants to make them happy. You're walking on eggshells because you know how they're going to react and you don't want to anger them, even though you did nothing wrong. It was all their fault. So it's almost like you feel an addiction to them. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you don't want to be with them. You shouldn't be with them. But if they're away from you, you get anxious. You panic a little bit. So it, it's a very nasty cycle. I was going to say, as you were speaking about it, it's like you're chasing that high of the good times. So like when you get an addiction. Exactly. A trauma bond, while a healthy relationship has ups and downs, it's also very steady and safe. A trauma bond is filled with extreme highs and extreme lows. Can you give us like a concrete example of like someone who was in a trauma bond situation? Is it like someone who's been cheated on and then they forgive their partner? Not necessarily. Like if they're cheated on and then the partner continues that, that sort of behavior, they give them empty promises, they manipulate them, they gaslight them. Because a trauma bond, well, let's keep going. They gaslight them, they manipulate them. But then they're like, okay, you know what? I'm so sorry. I should have never done that because you're the best person ever. We're going to fix this. We're going to do this together. I love you Got so it. much. We're going to build an even stronger relationship. Got so it. right then you were like, oh my God, he cheated on me. This is horrible. And then you're like, okay, maybe he's remorseful. He wants to work on this with me. You start working on it. Guess what? He cheats again. Yeah. Because it's a vicious cycle of ups and downs and ups and downs. But those little small moments, those crumbs of love, you're attached to those. You believe in that potential. That's the nasty part. I feel like a lot of people I speak to, trauma bonds are the toughest to get out of. What is the one piece of advice for how to get out of that relationship or even just in general? You know, we talk a lot about breakups on this podcast. Like, what is the one piece of advice you tell people how to get out? What is the one step they can take? Well, with trauma bonds, my advice is always that it's a mindset thing. It's sort of an odd exercise, but I have them pull out a piece of paper, their phone notes, whatever it may be. And I tell them, hey, I want you to write down, put yourself to when you were 10 years old, 11, 15, middle school, whatever, to what you imagine love would be a healthy relationship. I don't care if it looks like Cinderella. I don't care if it looks like a fairy tale. Write it all down. Do that on a piece of paper. Take your time and do it. And then grab another piece of paper and write down the things your partner is doing or has done to you. Right. Write it all down. Even if it hurts, even if you have to cry, write it down. After that, put both papers side by side and ask yourself, is this love or is this a trauma bond? And if that helps you see that, hey, I'm not in a healthy relationship. This is not where I should be. That's the first step, shifting your mindset. After that, it's more like little things, like surround yourself with a good support system. Understand that you don't have to go through this alone. Gain some distance so you can remove yourself from your toxic partner and see that situation a little bit clearer. Mm -hmm. So it's those little things, but it all starts with shifting your mindset. 
Yeah, I love that exercise that you do. That's so great. Sometimes my fight or flight reflex in relationship is to flee. And sometimes my therapist makes me do like a pros and cons list and really like seeing it all out on a piece of paper of like what you think of your partner. And like, you know, when you're like pros are like really outweighing the cons, you're like, oh, what am I doing here? Like, this is more about me and not so much about my partner. It helps so much. And we have a tendency to unfortunately like romanticize relationships in a way that if we break up with someone we say oh my god that was the best relationship ever i'm not gonna find anyone they were the best person for me i'm gonna be alone all my life so we romanticize those toxic relationships but if we write down the bad we can start seeing like hey okay this is why it didn't work out this person yeah you mentioned romanticizing and i think you're totally right that we do romanticize those toxic relationships but i also think about like media's romanticizing of what a relationship should be like like you mentioned fairy tales like we grow up with these crazy like rom-com situations of people like finding you on the plane at the last minute and you know not wanting to be apart do you think that they're fairy tale romances do exist what are your thoughts on kind of like a fairy tale romance i think it's like a little misconception because some people might think those fairy tale romances are the ones that are perfect that have no arguments that is constantly amazing but a fairy tale romance is a romance where you honestly feel safe where you can count on your partner where you get good or bad news and you're like Okay, let me call my partner and let her know. Let him know, whatever it may be. I think fairy tale romances are also the ones that have ups and downs, but you want to work through those ups and downs with your partner instead of blaming each other, instead of running away. So do fairy tale romances exist? Yes, but I think our perception of what they are is what's flawed. Because you can have a healthy, loving, super happy relationship that also has an argument here and there that also has some sad moments and that can still be your very own fairy tale. I love that. I think the safe element is something that we all need to make sure that we feel in a relationship. The safety to be yourself. I'm not just talking about dating someone who has muscles and can like keep you safe if someone if there's a home robbery. I'm talking about the safety to be yourself. Like that is so important. That is important in friendships and that is really really important in romantic relationships. So I love that. When you feel safe enough to just express yourself just how you are, it's an incredible feeling. Like that's your fairy tale right there. When you can be yourself and you're loved for it. Yes, 100%. Free tariffs. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we did the like main definitions. Are there any that I'm forgetting that are like big ticket definitions that you got, you have talked about in your coaching? There's also narcissism, which you need to be careful with. There's a few steps to narcissism and I'll quickly cover them in case anyone finds themselves in a narcissistic relationship because it touches on love bombing and trauma bonding and all that. Basically, if you're with a narcissist, what do you need to be careful with that similarly with love bombing? I call it step one, cloud nine. They're perfect. They say everything you want to hear. They're the most amazing partner ever, just like a love bombing relationship. Yes. yes. But in step two, you notice some subtle changes once you guys are together you're in love you notice subtle changes nothing big they try to isolate you a little bit from your friends you say okay it's okay because this person is amazing step three then it's not so subtle anymore they criticize you often they belittle you they prioritize others over you they constantly want to be the best in the relationship they want to be in control however you're so far in that you want to fight to show this person to get them back, to get this amazing person that showed you that cloud nine back. 
However, a narcissist, once they have what they wanted, once they exhaust that, they either discard you or they keep you around, but they just don't let you go because they have such an ego that they can't bear the thought of you dating someone else or leaving them. So they want you to be miserable with them. So that's what you have to be careful with narcissism. Wow. Honestly, that was amazing. That was triggering some PTSD for me. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> no, it's okay. That was good. It was so, it's good that I got out of that relationship, but it's so interesting that you said that it's like their ego at play, but then your ego gets at play because you're like, I want to like win them back, the narcissist, when they pull away. Yes, because they started out coming out of you so strong that you almost want to be like, oh, I deserve that. I want to have that person back. But in reality, that person was never there. That person was an illusion of sorts that was just someone gaslighting you, welcoming you. Yeah. Narcissist. And then you're in this trauma bond with the narcissist. It's all also. <laughs> yeah. That's where I come in. That's where I come in. Just trying to put out some fires. <laughs> okay. Okay. Let's put out some fires together. So I feel like people listening are going to want like tangible tips that they can do. So let's talk a little bit like about a how-to segment. Okay. Arrows, tell us how to build a healthy relationship without like compromising your future and getting all in on your partner and throwing caution to the wind and just like, I'm obsessed with this person. Forget my career. Forget my friends. Like, how do you not do that? What are the steps to check yourself of not doing that? Never put aside your career or anything like that. But I think it all starts in the beginning. Write down five things you're looking for in a relationship, five things you won't settle for. Start there. Get a general idea of what you want. And if you know that, if you understand what you're looking for in a relationship, now that you know, and you're dating someone, express that as boundaries. And people think that boundaries are this horrible thing. Like, oh my God, I'm going to push my partner away. They're going to think that I'm creating a divide between us. No, boundaries help your relationship grow. Boundaries, actually, your partner should appreciate boundaries because they're guidelines. Mm -hmm. So very lovingly, let's say your partner wants to move in right away. And that's going to make you lose your career, your friends. Like the example you said, you can very lovingly say, hey, I appreciate and I love the fact that you envision a future with me. I envision a future with you as well. And I want to move in at some point. However, it's a little bit too early for me. And I think if you're willing to listen to me, I'd like to explain why I don't want to move in yet. That does not mean that I don't envision a future with you. That just means that I'm not ready at this very moment. And then you talk, you create a safe atmosphere and environment, and you talk about boundaries. So I think knowing what you value, don't value, and then setting boundaries in regards to those. I love the way you just said that. I feel like when you started that conversation with the partner, it's like not an attack. It's like, I love you, and I do want to live with you someday. And if you're willing to listen, instead of coming at it from like, a, I'm not moving in with you in a defensive mode, and you guys are both fighting telling the partner, meeting them where they're at. And then as you said, like, I feel like your partner is going to respect that you have boundaries because they'll respect that you have a sense of self and that, you know, you care about yourself. I think it's like such a turn on in a relationship. 100%. I completely agree. And yeah, use I statements. If you don't know what those are, anyone listening, you can Google them. But basically I statements, when you're going to have a top conversation with your partner, what I statements do is that they make it about how you're feeling instead of what they're doing. So they don't feel attacked. They don't feel like you're blaming them. You're just, like I was saying before, telling them, hey, lately I've, I've been feeling distant because we're not connecting as much or we're not 
hanging out as much as often? Would it be okay if we talked about this? So use I statements and set boundaries. Like you said, it's all good things. Emotional intelligence and emotional connection. They're good things. They're things that we have to prioritize over all the physical things as well. Yeah. Oh, gosh, your girlfriend's so lucky. You've really done all the work. <laughs> well, I always tell her that it's a reflection of what she has been for oh, me. Oh, She has been incredible. That's so sweet. Okay, well, going back to unhealthy relationships, not <laughs> healthy one. This one is like an interesting one. So I feel like a lot of, especially like women, find themselves in a situation where the kind of financial disparity with their partner is apparent. It's not just women. You know, sometimes the female could be making more money than male or in same-sex relationships. But I think mm -hmm. that handling the financial disparity like is a tough one because sometimes your partner, you guys can't really do the same stuff or sometimes you wish that you could afford the things that your partner can afford. So how do you handle like a financial disparity in a relationship? Communication. I think communication is important with any conflict. If you have a financial problem, if you see it from the point of view, okay, we're going to have an argument because we're having a financial problem, it's going to create an argument. But if you focus your communication on finding a compromise, on finding a solution, when you realize that, yeah, they might be making more money than you, th that's the problem. That sometimes we think that we're boyfriend and girlfriend, husband and wife, friends, boyfriends, lovers, whatever it is. But we forget that we're partners. Mm -hmm. But it's okay, they're making more money than you. If that's an issue, talk it out. Try to find a compromise. What's going to make both of you feel more comfortable? I think that's a little hiccup that you can get over. Now, if your partner's not willing to listen, they belittle you because of the money that you're making or lack of money that you're making, then that's not the right partner for you. But I think the right partner is going to listen to you. They're going to believe in your dreams. They're going to believe in what you bring to the table because it's not all about money. The money comes and goes. So what happens when the role switch, right? Yeah. Are you going to turn on your partner? So you can have an incredible partner that's just not making as much money as you are, but money comes and goes. So don't take your partner for granted for what they're not bringing to the table in, in terms of tangible things. Yeah. I love what you just said that sometimes we forget that we're not, that we're partners and it's not like something my therapist said that stuck with me is she said, if couples stop coming at fights with like, who's going to win, they'd be so much better for it. It's not a like, I'm going to beat you. I'm going to prove that I'm right. It's more of like, let's work on this together and see how we can find a solution and get to the solution instead of proving who's right and who's wrong or who's richer and who's poorer. I love your therapist. <laughs> She's completely right. You need to focus on finding a mutually agreeable solution, not on winning your side of the argument. 100%. This one's like a little bit more nuanced. Let's say I'm living with my partner and we decide it's not working out. We got to move on. How do you navigate living with a partner and breaking up? Well, whose apartment is it? Or is it sure? Like, I feel like I, I have my legal brain <laughs> coming into play here. Let's say it's my apartment. God forbid this happens. And my partner and I live together. What happens? Well, if, if you're breaking up for the reasons that you're breaking up, you still need to, to gain distance from each other. I will take this all the way. I always say this. After any breakup, you need to do no contact. And if you're living together, that's going to be an issue. Move in with your friends for a month or two. All your family. Try to see if you can find another lease. But you're not going to be able to heal. You can't grow in the same environment that tore you down. So you can't keep living with your partner, even if it was amicable. You're not going to be able to heal and move on 
if you're seeing them every day, if you're talking to them, that's not to say that you're closing the door on any sort of friendship forever, but you need to do no contact for a while. It's the best way to truly understand why the breakup is happening, to truly heal and to truly move forward. So if you're living together, I think it's important. That's why I asked whose apartment it is, because you don't want to kick them out. So make sure they have a good place to go to, of course. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But if you can get some distance from each other, that's the best way to do it. Yeah, I think that's some good advice. I like that you're like line in the sand on that of like no contact because some people think that they can be friends or some people don't want to like block or some people want to communicate. It just doesn't work. It's too much in the gray area, right? It's a very slippery slope. It, yeah. Or they want to tell their partner, they tell me, Arrows, you know what? I've been doing so amazing without my ex. Let me just text them real quick. And let him know how great I'm doing, just so he knows. Yeah. Down, we're all expecting a response. We're all going to analyze and overthink whatever they say or whatever they don't say. You don't need to update them. If you break up, it's time to focus. Be selfish, prioritize yourself. In reality, you're also helping them because you texting them and talking to them is also making them not move forward. So even if it's their birthday, no birthday text. <laughs> I get it. A lot of messages that are like, and I text my ex, happy birthday. And <laughs> them. I tell, I, I get all those messages on Instagram whenever okay. I post a poll all the time. And I tell them, look, probably not. If there's no feelings there between you, it's been a while and it's super amicable. Like if you're doing it just to wish them a happy birthday, sure, you can go for it if it's been a while. But if you're doing it with an ulterior motive, because you want to use their birthday as an excuse to reach out. Like you've been counting the days till their birthday, just so you have an excuse to text them. Don't do. Yeah. You're going to end up very disappointed and very hurt. It's not. I think like 85% of the people who are contacting you <laughs> have manipulative tendencies and want to start conversation. But we'll give I, the other 15% who want to just say happy birthday credit here. I agree. I agree. So funny. Okay. And then this one, I wasn't going to ask you this, but I feel like this is really good advice because you're in a nine-year relationship. Tell me how to keep like the spark alive in a long-term relationship. Tell us that. Oh, a few things. There's uh, a few tricks here and there. I think one of the things is always have date nights. I think that when we're in a relationship, nine years, one years, two years, what ends up happening is that, okay, we get the person, like we're dating them, we're official. And we start getting comfortable. My advice is keep flirting. Flirt like you did in the beginning. Keep dating. Keep winning them over. Have a date night and literally put your phones away. Because there's nothing worse than your partner's talking to you and your phone's ready. And you're looking at your phone. Now put your phones away. Have that quality time. Something else that I love to do is always have something you're looking forward to. Mm -hmm. It could be a trip. And that doesn't mean that you have to go on trips constantly. It could be, hey, in six months... We're going to go on a cruise together. Hey, you're looking forward to that. That's something that you're both excited about. So that's another little tip. But just don't get too complacent. Keep dating. Keep flirting. Prioritize that physical intimacy a little bit. And when things get a little monotonous, change up the routine. If you feel like we're constantly getting Mexican every Thursday, we do this all the time. Hey, take a dance class together. I'm the worst dancer. I'm not afraid to admit that. I saw my partner dancing in a little side story. I was at a wedding, right? And I'm a horrible dancer, but I'll still try. But my partner was dancing and another guy, an acquaintance, nothing bad, asked her to dance. He was a great dancer and my partner was having fun. And instead of getting jealous, 
I went back to law school. I was still in law school. I went to Notre Dame. I signed up for a dance class twice a week. And I didn't tell her. And then when we came back, I super casually just put a little, I think it was like bachata, salsa, something like that on my phone. And I was like, let's try a little dance. And bam, I surprised her. So what I was getting to with that story is it was all leading to the fact that then when we came back, I told my girlfriend what happened. She thought it was funny. I had to go through some grueling classes. So it wasn't awful. No, but we decided to take some classes together. And every week we took a dance class together. My skills did not improve, but we bonded. It was that physical touch. It was out of the box. We changed up our routines. And like I said, we always looked forward to every Wednesday dance night. We went dancing. Then we went to eat at our favorite Italian place. It was amazing. So switch it up, take a class to get brand new hubby, different things. You can have fun in your relationship. It, even after nine years, there's still so much fun to be had. So cute. I love that. I feel like you're going to approve of this, but my partner and I, we have this little box and we put like little date ideas in there and we have like maybe like 20 in there. And each week we haven't been doing it lately, but because we've been traveling, but we choose one date idea per week and we do it. I absolutely love that one. And two, I'm probably going to steal that. Yeah, yeah, please do. I will check it out. Yeah, he taught me how to ride a bike last week. I I don't know. I didn't know how to ride a bike at 28 years old. So he taught me. Like, I thought my dance story was good, (laughs) but that's, I think that's like movie stuff right there. No, absolutely. Was it terrifying? It was not. I learned in seven minutes. I think I was just so sick of not knowing how (laughs) that I just like started pedaling, like my life depending on it. Let's do this. Yes. How like long you. have you and your partner been together, if you don't mind me asking? That's the relationship coach in me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've been together eight months. Yeah. So sort of like a newer relationship, but it, it's a good one. It's a healthy one. I've been in so many unhealthy ones that it's really easy for me to spot what a healthy one is. Well, I'm very happy to hear that. Obviously, sending positive vibes to both of you beyond the podcast. If you ever need anything, you can always ask. Me. Of course. Thank you. My boyfriend's going to hear this story about the dancing, the dance classes. Yes, I'm not a good dancer, so maybe I do take classes, but we'll see what happens. It's harder than it was. Like, I don't know. I was like stiff as a board in that dance class, but I tried. And you know what? Sometimes trying helps i guess trying is enough it's so cute (laughs) okay i want to do like a little fast fire round rapid fire round with you of different scenarios i'm going to give you different scenarios and you're i I think yeah i just want you to say whether someone should break up or not and i don't want you to overthink it i know you're going to be like well tell me the scenario the apartment is it but i want you to just kind of rapid fire (laughs) with me okay let's do this okay yes or no but you know whatever you feel is right yes it's breakup Yes is breakup. Yes is breakup. No, they can they can work it out. They can still work it out. There's a chance. They cheated. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Period. Okay. They don't like your friends. I, I want to know why though. <laughs> uh, uh, your friends didn't I... do anything wrong. They just think that they're bad influences on you. Are they actually though? Probably not. In the scenario that you said where they, you know, they start to, the narcissist starts to say, you can't see your friends. That's, I was going to say, if they're isolating me from good friends, yes, break up. Okay. What is the scenario in which it's okay? If, if your friend did something shitty to you? I always say it's okay to have friends. Friends, they can be guy, girls, whatever you want. It's okay to have friends. However, if there's situations that are making your partner uncomfortable and they're legitimately making them uncomfortable somehow, 
like you said, bad influences, making you a worse person. I think your partner has the right to kind of set some sort of boundary and you should kind of prioritize your partner and your relationship over those friendships. Got it. Okay. That's fair. I like that. Okay. They yell at you. Verbal abuse is never okay. So if it's like a constant thing, yes, we go. Okay. They no longer want the same life goals. So like maybe they wanted to get married in three years. They're scared to now. They're not sure about buying a house together. Life goals don't align. If you're sad on those things, if those are things are super important for you, like having kids, moving in together, marriage, break up, yes, instead of waiting and hoping that they'll change their mind and want those things later on. Because you don't want to sit around waiting for someone that's never going to change for you. I feel like that's the hardest one to get out of. It's hard, but because they didn't necessarily do anything wrong, but those core values are so important if you want to have a happy, healthy relationship. Yes. Hundred percent. Okay. The relationship lost its spark, passion, or they've gotten too comfortable, you know, not making an effort. What do you think? No, get it back. You can always get that spark back. Get that fire back before you break up. At least try. Go dancing. Go dancing. At least try. <laughs> exactly. Okay. They mentioned that, you know, they haven't really dated a lot before meeting you and they, they're they curious what else is out there. They kind of mentioned this fleeting, like, I'd never really dated prior to getting in this relationship. I'm curious. I would say I'm a priority, not an option. Like if they want to go explore, great. Thank you for being honest. Honestly, that takes a lot of courage instead of leading you on and stringing you along. But yeah, break up there. If they're, they're not sure about you, you deserve to be a priority. Yes. Okay. Last one is they feel like you don't pay enough attention to them and prioritize other things. No, don't break up, but try to work on it. If nothing changes or they just give you empty promises, then yes, break up. But I think that's a solvable. Are there any that I missed here that you think are like non-negotiables? I guess it's like the four terms that we mentioned, the narcissism, love bombing. Yeah. I mean, any sort of abuse, I would say break up, obviously physical, financial, um, a verbal, any sort of abuse emotion. Another thing is the thing with cheating with me is that a lot of the time, if they need to be with someone else to realize what they had with you, thank you, but next, right? <laughs> uh, that's, that's another one that's, it's not for me. So I think abuse, cheating, if they're constantly prioritizing everyone over you, break up. Like I said, you deserve to be a priority, not an option. So I think we covered most of them. There's always going to be little intrinsic scenarios, but yeah. For that, people will call you. <laughs> they know where to find me. TikTok, Instagram, email, whatever they want. I'm always here yeah. for them. What are your thoughts on breaks? Oh, thank you for asking. I hate <laughs> And it's, that's like a polarizing thing, but I'm against breaks and I'm not scared to say it. Me neither. I think breaks are temporary solutions like a band-aid. So what happens is that there's a problem in your relationship, there's an issue, and instead of dealing with the issue, you tell your partner, okay, we're not getting along, there's an issue, let's take a break and then see what happens and then we'll come back. So you miss each other, you come back, you're great for a month, two months, even a year, whatever. The issue's still there and it's going to come up again. And the other thing is it makes communication impossible in a time when you need it most. So there's an issue, you're just pushing your partner away. It creates doubts. It creates confusion, like Ross and Rachel and friends, like we were in a break. So it creates temptation. It creates 
what else does it create? Nothing positive, obviously. It's just, I'm not a believer in breaks. I actually told my girlfriend this when we met. She was like, okay, what, what do you think about breaks? She even asked like later on, what, what do you think about divorce and all that? Because we're very family oriented and, and everything. So I told her, look, I'm not a believer. What I believe in is if there's an issue, we're going to sit down, you and me, we're going to sit down, talk about the issue, write it out. We're going to stay there sitting. It could be a day, two days. We'll go back to it, but we're going to try to solve it together. A break isn't going to solve it. If for any married couple, like an immediate divorce isn't going to solve that. You need to try to work through it first. Arrows advice. Yours is like the opposite. It's like spend so much time together, solve the problem. Do not go away from each other. Like, don't ignore the problem. That's the main thing. The problem's still going to be there after the break. A lot of the time, taking a break is the first step towards a breakup because you're taking an opportunity to grow together as a couple, to know how to work on conflict, and you're instead just throwing it away. I actually have a little quick exercise, if you don't mind me saying. Yeah. You keep, like, those conflicts away that might cause a break. And I read about this exercise. It wasn't originally mine, so I will point that out. But it's called like a five to one ratio exercise. So what do you do is you pick out once a week, you and your partner are going to sit down for an hour. And what are you going to do? You're going to talk about all the conflicts that happened in the past week. However, prior to saying one conflict, you're going to say five good things or positive things that your partner did during the past week. You're going to do that. They're going to listen. They're going to validate what you're feeling. They're not going to get defensive. And then they're going to go five good things, one conflict. What that's going to do, it's going to make the conflicts constructive instead of destructive. Instead of holding all that inside, that resentment that leads to those breaks. Every week you're checking in, you're talking. It can be a fun experience because, hey, two conflicts equals 10 great positive things. Yeah. Someone with a words of affirmation, love language. I love hearing those things. Me too. Try that out instead before you take a break. So you said do that for an hour? Well, you can do it for less. Hopefully there's not that many conflict (laughs) to talk about. (laughs) Like if there's like one little thing, like I can't believe you left the coffee mug out. Yeah. yeah. Okay, perfect. Let's go watch a movie. But if it takes an hour, hash it out. But hopefully it's going to be shorter and shorter each week. Oh, I love that. That's a good idea. Maybe we'll do it tonight. <laughs> Day night. Okay. I want to do our little last segment with you. The last one, I promise. We do our little segment called Trouble in Paradise where we're not professional. I mean, you're a professional relationship expert, but we don't know these people's lives. These are celebrity couples, but I just want to get your takes on their relationship, whether you think they should be together. Are you for this couple or do you think that they should go find other relationships? So I want to start us off. I don't know if you read, but I was really excited about this couple. So Bradley Cooper is now dating Huma Abedin. I love it. What I've been reading about him, it sounds like he's really like doing such a positive turn in his life. He's doing so many great things emotionally, personally, individually. And I think like this is what he needs. I think someone that's out of that, someone that's seen. I know he dated Irina before. All of the, Irina, I don't know what her name is. But I think like someone that brings that uh, emotional intelligence and brings something new to the table. It reminds me a lot of the like George Clooney. Yeah. yeah, I think it's exactly what he needs to stay grounded in this important period in his life. I don't know him, but it bless him if he's hearing this. Yeah. Best. 
it seems like it's a great thing. Yeah, I love that she works in politics and is not in the movie industry or entertainment industry. I like that juxtaposition for sure. Yeah, that's definitely a change of probably what he's used to. So I love that as well. Go Bradley and Huma. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what do you think about Tom Holland and Zendaya? What I think about them is that they already work together. Like Hollywood couples, it seems like that whole movie industry tears them apart. Maybe it's the distance. Maybe it's the different projects. But they were on the movie together. They did Spider-Man together. They've been on different projects together. And it all seems so smooth. It all seems like it's working out. It's like both private and not private. So it's young love. And I feel like it's great love. Like good for them. I see, I see good things. I see good things. I would like if it was like even more like public, but there's nothing wrong with loving and fighting. So yeah, everyone calls him a short king, but we love that for him. <laughs> My girlfriend's sister's like in love with him, with Harry Styles. So that's why I've been like very up to date with his relationship. So I think, yeah, the whole short king thing, it's good for him, good for society. So I guess working with your partner can work, according to Eros. Yes. If it works, it's a great sign. It yeah. can also be a detriment. So that's also something to know. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that the next podcast. <laughs> next episode. <laughs> okay. This couple, I don't know how to feel about them. So I want to get your thoughts. What do you think about Adele and Rich Paul? Well, the thing is, I, I love Adele. Me too. In my undergrad, I went to college in my undergrad. I went with my older brother and his best friend, who's also one of my best friends now. And I would sing every Adele song. I every, every, every single Adele song I love. I feel it in my bones. Right. So I love Adele. And it's a tricky one because I saw that she canceled the whole Vegas thing. And it, there were rumors that it was because of conflicts with the yeah. relationship. So yep. it's like almost like the opposite of the Tom Holland thing. Like, it seems like their careers are causing a rift instead of telling me that, hey, they're going to be okay. And it seems like she immediately had to drop a lot of responsibilities to satisfy her partner. I don't know if it was like that. I don't know what were the issues, but there just seems to be some underlying issues there. Like I said, I love Adele, so I hope it works out. She's the absolute best. But it's not giving me that sense of security that I'm getting with Bradley Cooper, Tom Holland, and the human. Uh, we are aligned three for three. I feel like it's similar to the like not wanting your friends to hang out with you thing of like you not wanting the residency in Vegas. What else are you going to take away from her? But I did see that she rescheduled her show. So I hope you're buying tickets. I saw that and I do want to go. I'm, I'm going to turn 30 next month, which is both sad and exciting. I tell people they don't believe me, but I'm turning 30 next month. And if I get some tickets to Adele, I'll, I'm probably going to buy those and celebrate whenever she comes back to Vegas. Or maybe don't buy them. And if your girlfriend's listening, this would be the perfect. Rose. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Arrows. Tell us where we, we can find you on TikTok, on your platform. How can people get relationship advice from you? My TikTok and my Instagram are both at Eros underscore Miranda. My podcast is called Eros to the Heart, which is my name. Just a little word pointed on Eros. And yeah, you can find me there. You can always send me a message. The way I see myself as a relationship coach is not only as a coach, but as your friend. 
So whatever you're going through, feel free to send me a message and I'll try to get back to you in any way that I can. And other than that, my ebook will be out soon, hopefully in August. So very excited. You can find me in any of those places. Thank you, Eros. We're pretty much done here. This was such a pleasure. I feel like smarter and wiser and I'm ready to see my boyfriend for date night. We're going to go do the five to one ratio. I appreciate it so much. This was actually so much fun and I had an, honestly like a great time. And whenever in the future, if you want to bring me back, I would absolutely love it. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. This was so, so fun. Thanks, Eros. Have a great day. You too. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to Pretty Much Done. If you want more information about this episode, you can check our show notes. Go like, subscribe, and leave a review because it helps us grow the pod. Love you. Thank you. Sorry, did I just love bomb you? I'm not toxic. You are. Okay, bye.